guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we hope you enjoyed the Dale Carr story that we are halfway or a little over halfway through that was on the three part series. Three part series. We hope that you are enjoying that. It's taken a lot of time to put that together. Hope you guys uh, are checking it out. And if you haven't, please do. Yeah, it's great. Because, yeah, it, it, it's cool. So, um, new week here. What what have you been up to? I know we've been. Oh man, I've been. Anyone that list, like follows your Instagram knows you're like in deep to your nine eleven suspension overhaul, right? And it's you're like milking it. It seems because it's taken a while here. It is. It's been taking a little bit longer than I expected, mainly because I'm missing a few parts. Mm-hmm. Mainly the the spindle nut. I think I talked about that maybe last week. The the nut that holds the the wheel bearing on, basically. So it comes off. Did like, you have an old one? Yeah, you but it's a different took the size. Car apart. It, it's a different size. So okay. it's Coney's versus Bilstein RSR. Oh, so and Coney's versus Bilstein in general. So it's a smaller nut, and by about two millimeters, probably. I think I measured two millimeters. Okay. And then there's a lock washer that goes behind it that's too small as well. And so you I've had been, to order this, of course. Well, I got it from some guy on on the early 911s registry. Okay. His name's Lars. Cool dude. Um, anyway, so I finally got that stuff. I I was so tired of waiting and trying to find it. I was like. I put up a hey, want to buy, and he's like, he's like, I got them. I'm like, overnight them to me. <laughs> oh, really? Because you couldn't find them on like Pelican or any. They are, but they're like, store? they're like fifty bucks a piece. Yeah. So I ended up paying a hundred or paying like eighty five dollars to have them overnighted to me used, <laughs> and they're used. I mean, I don't need new ones. They're it's well, just it's a, it's a nut. It's a nut, right? Well, it's like a. I did. It's like nut a nut is wrong an, because it looks like a, a pinch clamp. Yeah, it's it's a locking. It's a locking clamp with a Allen bolt that goes through it. So you screw it on, and then you tighten this Allen up, and that's what locks the the hub onto the so car. So it is threaded on the inside. So yes, you it screw is. it in like a nut, and then you yep. clamp it down. And that's you can't interesting. Over, you can't over tighten it. It's almost like rear wheel bearings on a rabbit. You I, know, like drums. Very few people will know what that means. It's basically like any <laughs> German drum okay. setup. So you put the wheel bearing on, and then you screw a nut on, and you kind of like you work the the basically the hub assembly around and you kind of tighten it as you go okay. you like rotate it and continue to tighten it but you can't get it too tight you'll crush the bearing oh. it won't operate correctly so there's kind of like a procedure to get say, that is nice it all based on like torque specs or? no it's 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 like good and tight but not too tight <laughs> even the manual the <laughs> yeah, manual's like not too tight you should be able to do a little bit of movement with a screwdriver that's literally what the bentley says at that point why couldn't you just do like inch pounds because how are you supposed to hold it? I suppose it's not like a hexagonal no, nut. No, there's no hex anything. It's just got the <laughs> Allen on it. So I, I finally got those today, and it's the rotor b- b- bolts to that hub assembly So right. with the wheel bearings in it, so it bolts to the backside. So, of course, what did I do? I put the – I was like, oh, great. So I put the hub assembly on, forgot to put the rotor on. Awesome. Okay. God damn it. So then I take it off, take it over to the bench vise, put it all together, okay. and then walk my ass over – bolt it back on yep. and then go oh shit I forgot to put the dust cover on which are the dust covers necessary what every do they do? i was thinking about this and every single car ever that i've ever worked on has it so it's got to be good for something <laughs> <laughs> right it's got to be I good remember for something i ripped them off the mustang i had in high school because it like was rusting and so it started to clank next yeah. to the rotor and so i just ripped them off but it, it's it, what do they do I think they probably keep maybe keep the dust from the brake pads from going all over the place. <laughs> so they're appropriately named is yeah, what we're assuming. Yeah, I'm guessing. That's just what I can imagine. I don't really necessarily see the purpose either. So how long did it take you then to disassemble so that, Well, it only takes again. a minute because I got to I gotta, um, move that nut off yeah. and then take the thing off and then put it back on. Yep. The thing. Yeah. So it was like a bunch of that. And then I go and I look at the struts and I'm like, I'm almost done. I'm time, it's time to breathe the brake. Breathe. 
breed the brakes. Breed the brakes. <laughs> I, I need You're more breeding them. <laughs> <laughs> they multiply if you do it right. Yeah, that, that would be great to be free then. Um, I got a set of pads from Terox. I was complaining about how you know pads were out of control for pricing and everything like that. Okay. He's like, they sent me a pair. To I try don't out. know that brand. Terox at all. is it's a really good brand. They're, they make nice brakes. So a little plug for Terox. They sent me the pads. I know to try like, out. EBC is supposed to be a really good brand. Too. Terox is like high end stuff, like okay. above Brembo. So okay. you can you can check it out. So they're like, oh, we can do rotors too um, at cost if you want. And I'm like, oh, well, how much is that? They're like. $450. I'm like, okay. Uh, no, that's okay, guys. That's okay. That's okay. Or whatever. I think maybe it was like 600 bucks. I don't remember what it was, but it was just more than I was willing to spend. And no Porsche. For not a that's, that's like per corner, probably. I know it's not. I know. But it, but they make great stuff. They make great uh, big brake kits and stuff like that. Anyway, so I'm sitting down there. I'm looking at the strut. I'm like, I'm done. I'm ready to bleed the brakes. And I look up and there's no dust covers on the strut assembly. So and I'm like, both oh my god! The dust covers have been giving you a lot of grief, apparently, on this. <laughs> well, the brake dust cover, and the, strut the strut dust yeah, cover. Yeah. Well, that covers the shaft of the strut, I imagine. Exactly. One of my buddies is like, "Yeah, you can run without that." I'm like, "I'm not going to." You so, could, but yeah, you get junk in there, and then you start to, I imagine, score the the seal. The I imagine, seal and, or yeah, something. And then you I start just leaking your your brand new struts. Yeah, I don't need to be doing that. So it's I've waited this long. I can wait. I was going to say it's not like you need to drive the car. It's not your I'm only going to form of Burnsville here. to pick up a set after the podcast. Okay. So, um, and I, I guess I should from, say that I should tease that our guest this week is Chad, who is a regional distributor for Liquid Molly. Yeah. So he travels around the country for Liquid Molly Oil Petroleum Company, mm-hmm. and now we're going to have him on and talk about some oil stuff. Yeah. So I guess I, I should have preceded all of this with that that's okay yeah um so anyway so i got the dust covers coming tonight once i do that i can put it all together and and okay. and then lower the car and then i got rear struts to do which will only take a minute because it's just like a bolt on the bottom of the trailing arm and it just slides out so okay because those are like really standard two standard. shots basically yep, yep and there's no spring obviously or anything since right. it's a torsion bar um and then i also worked on i didn't have anything else to do so i bought a bluetooth amp Right. So I mounted that in the car and I got it all wired up correctly and it didn't work. It would not power on. I'm like, oh. why won't this thing power on? What is the deal? This thing will not. It's, I'm look, looking at the diagram. It's like blue is remote, red is power, black is ground, orange is remote out. So if you want to have remote right, like in, rem- remote out to turn on another amp, something like that. Which, why wouldn't you just splice into your remote in if you needed an output? Because that's messier. It? Okay. To so do a bunch of to two wires into one. Okay. Split. So, anyways, so anyway, fairly straightforward so wiring. I call them. I'm like, hey. Okay. They're like, well, have you done this? I'm like, yes. Well, why don't you just mount it directly to the floor of the car? I'm like, because I don't want to drill a hole in the floor. Yeah. What kind of car is this? 72911. The guy goes, oh. I was like, what do you mean, oh? What do you mean, oh? <laughs> so, I, so I really didn't like this guy. He wasn't, he's like, well, I guess the amp is dead. So call whoever you got it from. I'm like, I'm going to go get a Kenwood. He's like, go for it. Like the the customer service yeah. wasn't very good. Um, the product is nice though. I ended up what I ended up doing is I'm like, okay, well I'm just going to try and run the the remote out also to 12 volts and just see what happens. And sure enough, it powers on. So I don't know if the 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 blue the and the orange are like swapped. swapped or something, but it works. I got it mounted up under the dash. You can't see it, and I hooked like a little square speaker up to uh, to it to find out you know if it would turn on and everything. But right. you turn the key out of my car, it pops on, my phone pairs with it, and music just starts playing. That's awesome. And I you can control the volume but the gain on the amp. Right. So you just go in there with a the screwdriver and turn it up as loud as you want it to be. Maximum right. volume, you adjust the gain. And then you just use your phone. 
and for the volume. Work pretty well so yeah, far. Works great. I'm really really awesome. happy with. And with so the it. whole point of this is because I mean this could be a rant for another episode, but car stereos are freaking ugly. They're hideous. They're hideous. Especially like early 2000s when they started putting like the graphic remember when they had thing like, on there. Remember when they had the one that, that was a Panasonic, I think, or Pioneer. Pioneer, Pioneer yeah. Where they had like a blue dolphin. Yeah, the dolphin that jumped was swimming across the thing with right. like spaceships and shit. Because oh my it's God. like 8-bit basically graphics. And when they were able to fit 8-bit graphics on these screens, these stereos, like they just went wild with yeah. all the stupid Not animations good. and everything else. Not good. But even if you can find – so your choices are like if you could find an OEM original stereo, which – will sound like shit you oh, can't find like for garbage. cars like this in the 70s yep you know that would work but it sound like garbage the new ones all look like crap like that i think the market is starting to come back and say okay we don't need to be so gaudy with it i think the still... reason for that is is nobody's putting stereos in new cars true because you don't need them they have like right. apple carplay and and android whatever That's the fuck true. it's called and you know you just don't need it but they still don't match and i so i really like this solution i was actually looking at this for um, one of my other project cars, the Yeah, MG. and you sent me one that looked like it was made by a third-grade engineering student. <laughs> I was like, why are you going to buy that thing? That is so junk. It was like someone linked to it from the forums. They're like, Were you leaning like great. a little mini, one of those little mini eyeglass screwdrivers to connect the... I'm like, what are what are you doing? This is so <laughs> junk. I was like, show me another one that does this exact same thing. And, and then you sent one, but you sent the wrong I link. I sent the wrong one. And so I was like, no, you're an idiot. This doesn't connect Bluetooth. But yeah. anyways, I really like that idea, so I'm excited to hear... So now I got the 4x8 speaker to go in the dash. That'll be here tomorrow right and now i realize that now that the dash is in you can't get there's so you have like the dash and then you have like another layer inside that the like the wipers and everything bolt to like up into those there's like a metal frame in there. yeah and then underneath that is like the floor like everything else so there's actually a a layer of steel in between where i have the amp mounted and where the speaker is so how are you going to do that? Plus, I'm also wondering how am I going to screw the speaker into the car right. without pulling the entire airbox and wiper assembly out of the car. So hopefully I can figure out a way to like somewhat – maybe what I'll do is I'll screw the speaker in and then just put a little dot of silicone on each one of the corners of that speaker grill and just set it on there. Mm. And we'll see just mm. how that goes. And maybe. Uh, maybe. Otherwise, I don't know how else you would screw it down properly because it's not – nothing quite lines up. So it's not looking well. Nothing awesome. lines up on my car, anyways. So I'm <laughs> fine with that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So that's where I'm at. It's, okay. It's, that's that's what I've that's what I've got going on. So. Yeah. Speaking of my car and nothing working out, you know. So for our listeners, I totally hopped on the bandwagon. We talked about this previously, but I got a 911. The it's bright orange bandwagon. 911. Just because Chris is, because I, I want to be just like Chris when I. Grow you up. are fully victim of the propaganda i am you are 100 percent. yeah but anyways uh 911 parts it turns out are expensive so that's stupid I, how many times have i said that how I know awful you it have. is i know it's and i'm re- kind of teasing a little bit by saying that because I, I, I very well knew that but so i'm i'm doing a full uh new shifter from like the short shifter setup all the way back what did you end up getting for that because i i posted on the forum and i was like hey does anybody have a shifter for my friend? Right. And I found some for you, and then I found out that you spent like $600 on a bunch of crap when you could have just, okay, more <laughs> than that, when I could have just gotten you one for like 100 bucks. I know, but I found one that's um, it's supposedly better than the Wevo, and it works for both it's, the 901 and the 915. It, what, please, what is it? I don't know, Ren something? Ren shift? Ren shift. Jake. Are you going to start ripping on companies now in the middle no, of our No, I don't like the Ren shift compared to the, I Why? felt both. The Wevo just operates better. It feels okay. better. The other one's a little gatey. It's yeah. kind of like, 
Is it the gate shift one? No, it's not the gate shift. The gate shift is the Weevo, actually. This is well, the really shift boring the for anyone listening that yeah. doesn't know 9-11. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, let's just move on. But I, they get the fact that you're just saying that I'm an idiot, so that's fun. I think that you should take – you should. I don't want to say that you have to come to me for advice when uh-huh. you buy stuff for the car, but until you get a little bit more experience with the brands and what's out there, just ask me and I'll tell you if it's a good <laughs> idea or not. I'll just the tell you. The problem with the Weevil, I will say real quick to redeem myself, they don't make the Weevil for the 901. You need basically the 915 shift housing. You should have just gotten a stock shifter because you're not going to keep that motor forever anyway. So you should have gotten I'm a not, stock I'm length not, shifter. I'm not agreeing just, that I'm going to replace this engine right away. I didn't say right away, but you don't even know what it's like to drive with a stock shifter, and you're already spending over $600 on some cockamamie shit that you don't even know. <laughs> well, it needed new bushings anyway, so that's How do you know well. that? Because it, I don't know. I think it does. There's only a couple bushings in that entire, there's, like. There's three. And there's one of several bushings. And in one the of them was thing. the $200, like, you know, the linkage in back, and you were talking about how you bought, like, yeah. an aircraft grade you, Weebo you joined thing. one, yeah. I got that as well. Oh, all right. Well, I I will not let this go if you keep doing this. Okay. You just, well, you something just else slow that down. I think you're going to find really exciting because you know my history of the license plate. Did you know you can get a custom collector plate in Minnesota? You can customize your collector what plates. Is, what did you get? What does it say? I don't know. We'll have to find out. Oh, no. This <laughs> <laughs> is going to be 9-11, 9-11. 9-11, No, you can't do that because you need a letter in there. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, what else? I need to make room in my garage because I am a hoarder. No, you're not. It's it, not that messy in there. Have you been in there? Yes, it's not that bad. I have 29 sets of, no, 29 tires that I'm not using in my garage. That's because you're a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. So Jake's used Tiger Emporium is uh, going out of business. So. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, I, we don't need to talk about much more, but uh, I, I will say that, you know, when we're talking about all these awesome road trips, the last episode we had uh, Manu and Maria in yeah. with their cross-country, basically around the world adventures yep. and everything else, I feel like summer is so fleeting here in Minnesota, and I already feel like it's slipping by. Wasn't last night, like, the longest day of the year? No, that's the 21st. <gasps> it's tonight. It's tonight. Tonight's the summer equinox. Yeah, it's all downhill from here. Shit. Well, before we uh, before we come have Chad come into the studio, he's going to be here in a little bit. I just want to remind you guys to hop on iTunes, mm-hmm. give us a five star review wherever you listen to the podcast. That really really helps us out, it does. gets us up there in the charts, and uh, and keeps the uh, keeps the momentum going. And I would say even maybe more important than that, share it with your friends. I mean, if you like one of our episodes here, then share it on your Facebook, share it on Instagram, tell people if you like it. We really would appreciate that. That's and how everything's grown so far. Exactly. So we, we appreciate that. Well, do you have a do you want to roll an ad before we bring Chad into the studio here? Yep. Go ahead. This is where I play Jeopardy music because Jake doesn't have <laughs> he doesn't have his notebook out. This is every week. Why don't every I just single add week. it into our? Why show don't you notes? just literally tape it to the desk over there? You're right because I don't use this for anything else. <laughs> Why do I put it back in my bag? This just should stay here. All right, what do right, we got? I'm an idiot. So uh, let's talk about one of our favorite sponsors, Luther Westside Volkswagen. We've talked about them at length ad nauseum before, but they are great guys, which is why Chris has spent a small fortune with them already. They have the largest selections of Volkswagens and used European cars in the Twin Cities. They're actually the number one Volkswagen dealer in the country. Um, They have a bunch of great guys over there. It's a low stress sales environment. That's probably the best part. They're not going to be, you know, the typical stereotypical salesman who's going to be pressuring you and say, well, 
I need to go check with my manager about that. Yeah. Go get a cup of coffee and back. He's got a little steno pad full of uh, ways to ask for the sale. <laughs> <laughs> How to ask for the I'm sale. I'm sure that exists for oh, sure. I'm sure it so does. you won't find that at Luther Westside Volkswagen. You can find them at westsidevw.com. And like we said, if you're in the market for anything Volkswagen or a used European car, go check them out first. All right, we'll be right back with Chad from Liquid Molly. Hey guys, welcome back. We are in studio studio with Chad Morgan. What's up, Chad? Hey. Welcome. We're glad to have you here. You flew in from, you're in, you used to be local to Minneapolis, but you were in Arizona now, right? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. That's right. That's right. And I met you at Chad's shop, who is a sponsor of ours. And eventually we started talking about oil and stuff like that. And I told you I run, I run Liquid Molly in my, in my 911. Yep. So then we started talking about oil and stuff like that. And I thought it would be great to have you on the podcast to talk about um, some oil. But before we do that, I want to kind of get on the car that you drove here, <laughs> which I walked out of the front door of the, of the building. And I was, I'm like, I told you to meet me at the front door. And I'm looking, and I'm looking this way. And I saw like a, an old Bel Air wagon over there. I'm like, oh, I'm just looking, looking. And you're just like staring at me, waiting for me to notice that it was you. I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, there he is. There he is. That, that thing was amazing. That thing is really cool. What's the story with that? So it's a 1964 Bel Air wagon, 327 engine. Um, Actually, all through my life, I've had hot rods. I went to high school. I drove a 55 Ford pickup, um, drove 57 Chevys, traded up. I actually built a car when I was 15 with my dad, built a 47 Ford with 350 in it. So hot rods have always been my life. Um, I, 350 I, in a Ford, though. Absolutely. That's sacrilege, right? No, it would be worse <laughs> if you did it the opposite. If you put the Chevy or the Ford engine right. in the Chevy, but yeah, everybody. That's why is that such a deal that you can't? You can go that go. Everybody does the small block Chevys and everything, but putting like a, you know, like a Windsor and something is like, oh my god, everybody just freaks out. I don't get it. I keep on looking. I keep on going to all these Euro shops for my work, and I always see like these nice BMW V8s, and I'm like. You know, it would really piss off someone in the hot rod industry <laughs> if I pulled up to a car show and opened up the hood and there's a, you know, a nice M engine in there. Yeah. So my buddy Michael Burroughs with Stanceworks had it all, a Model uh, A. No, Model. Yeah, Model it A. Was a Okay, I thought uh, it was a Model T, actually. Maybe it was. I don't remember off the top of my head, but he put a BMW V8 in that. And it was like a salt flat racer type car. Yeah, that thing actually sold and went to Europe. I think it's in like oh, no Norway or something now. I was going to say, because it'd be great to do like a, a 32 Deuce Coupe, you know, with that BMW engine in it. Oh, yeah. That'd yeah. be totally... I would do it with the Mercedes V12. <laughs> just, okay. Yeah, well, just like this, like from like the S600 or whatever, or the S500 or, you know. I don't just, know my Mercedes models. If you put headers on them, they sound like a Pagani Zonda. Oh, yes, we've talked they about do. that I mean, car. literally, you take like an S600, you put headers and straight pipes on it, it sounds like an F1 car. Immediately. See? That would be a great That'd thing to pull up to a car show with. It would be. That would be, hmm. <laughs> like, the gears are turning. <laughs> the gears are turning. Um, so what is, what's the, of all the hot rods that you've done, what's one of the best builds that you had? What's your favorite out of everything? Um, I haven't got there yet. Okay. I really haven't got that That's an interesting one hot take. rod that I like that I answer. Um, Do you know what it is? Oh, yeah. It's what a is it? 62 Bel Air bubble top um, with just all original looking, but big sleeper um track ready you know that's what i want on 
air ride suspension and okay. everything like that. So well, you said that if you kept the one, the one that you have right now is for sale. So if anybody's looking for Bel Air on the podcast, <laughs> hit us up. And if you keep that one, that one's going full air ride too. That would go full air ride. Um, that would help out with the turning radius situation that, that I would witnessed. Probably <laughs> definitely help out with that or that big bump on 35 that I hit on the way Oof. here. Yeah. Um, I have actually going to a car show in Hastings. I have hit a pothole and broke my header bolts. And well, had, that's better than the oil pan. And I had flames shooting out of my lake pipes, so that was oh, a really sweet. cool night. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get started at Liquimali? Um, well, I started in automotive. Uh, I don't know how many people on this podcast would even remember Big Wheel Rossi. It sounds familiar. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of Toro, I don't know it. Toro Rossi yeah. from the F1 or something. Oh. It's so, probably not the same thing. I mean, that's I started uh, 1993 at, working at Big Wheel Rossi and okay. just kind of in the automotive industry and then left it for eight years to work in the architectural industry. Came back to work for Napa for three years in their import line. And everybody kept on yelling at me because all I would sell is the chemicals. Right. It was mm-hmm. the easiest thing to sell, and everybody needed it, so I sold it. And it's consumable goods, so it's something that someone's always going to be need to re- be replenishing at the shop. You know, chemicals are easy. You can go to any shop. Anybody always works on a Volkswagen or a Toyota or whatnot, and you could just sell them some chemicals. So mm-hmm. started selling Lickamali, and, and the sales force at the time with Lickamali was two guys that covered the entire North America. Wow. Okay. What, so this is circa when? When is this? This is... About five years ago. That's a lot of territory to cover. (laughs) That is North America. That's all of Canada and all of the U.S. Wow. Okay. Um, Two guys had that market. And then our owner decided that he really wanted to focus on the U.S. market. So he gave the green light to hire as many people as we could. So we're up to 25 guys now. That's a lot easier. <laughs> so so yeah. when you were, were you one of the 25 guys that came on when yes. they did the hiring thing? Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, in Europe alone, in Germany, uh, as the size of Germany can basically fit in Texas, we have 110 salesmen. Okay. Wow. So where in Germany <laughs> are you guys located? We are out of Ulm, Germany. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. So um, what's the, kind of the history with Liquamali in general? Where do they come from? What's the story? Uh, so liquamoly, uh, the actual name came from liquefied molybdenum dioxide. So they used it in World War II, uh, the U.S., when in all their tanks and planes while they're fighting Germany would actually have this in their engines. When Germany would shoot down a plane or whatnot, the vehicle would actually still continue to fly back to safety. And as soon as the war ended, that product was available for purchase. So a German actually bought it. Okay. Hmm. Um, 60 years ago. Uh, and then our current owner, actually now CEO, uh, started in the warehouse, worked his way up to salesman, and eventually bought the company. Wow. That's incredible. So the dude is like homegrown. He is, is very cool homegrown, and he's he actually bought the company, ran it, built it to where it is now, and then he does a lot of charity work. Okay. And not just like hand out, you know, soup bowls on, you know, bad days. He is in third world countries. He's, you know, helping build waterways and stuff like that. The last trip got him thinking so bad that he figured that he didn't want to leave his, this Likomali is his baby. And he didn't want to leave. If he was to go into third world country, get very ill or sick and pass away. What he did (laughs) is he, uh, we have been partnered uh, with Worth Industries for the past 20 years. We've actually been working with them. And so he sold the company to Worth. 
So okay. we are actually owned by Worth. That's another great company. <laughs> I don't know Worth. Uh, another German company, big red red and white labels, Worth. Uh, there's actually a Worth distributor here in the in Brooklyn Park. Oh, really? It's okay. a gigantic building right before so you. So it's like the white label with the red eagle on it, and it's Worth W. And what do they what do they produce or sell? Uh, additives, chemicals, okay. tools. Paint, paint, glass cleaner, tools. Okay. My favorite thing from Worth is the the pressure brake uh brake cleaner reservoir so i have like a i have a five gallon jug of brake cleaner from worth oh. and then i pour it in this little jug that's got like a pressure handle on right. it yeah so it's brake cleaner with no aerosol which is i can't impress upon you how life-changing that is <laughs> and you can control the spray from like a stream to like i it's, just it's amazing i just went through an entire can of brake cleaner in like five seconds on my boat yeah and i was like oh well that's that's it and you can't like get upside down and spray it's awesome i'll i'll uh i've posted on my story a few times but i'll i'll show it to you so you can at least have it there they kick ass anyway <laughs> yeah so with that purchase that just happened um like 2017 so pretty recent but uh, Ernest is still the CEO. He runs the day-to-day operations. So how does Liquid Molly kind of differ from some of the other uh, companies out there? Obviously, you're a little bit of a smaller company when compared to like Mobile or Ex- you know, Exxon Mobil or something like that. So how do you guys differ in what you do compared to the other petroleum companies? Um, one is we do everything in-house. Um, that really keeps the quality of the does oil. That, does that include the photo shoots? In-house photo shoots. Ernest is at every one of them. Uh, they have these this great calendar with chicks. That, oh, oh and okay. It's, it's awesome. I was like, I didn't so, get that reference. Yeah, sorry. I'll show I thought it. you were fishing for business as a photographer. No, no. Well, yes. <laughs> In this case, now he definitely yeah, wants that business. Anybody right? listening, look up Liquamali uh, girl calendar. You'll you'll know why. I'll take that job. I'll do it. I'll do it. For, I'll even pay for my own flight to go yeah, over there. Yeah, do it for free. Plus, <laughs> yeah, pay just, for it. Just Google. Just say Liquamali calendar, and yeah, there's. The car version, there's the girls in bikini version, and then there's the girls without the bikini version. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty great. So beyond, that was obviously that's a joke. That's not what make, makes you guys different. What, with petroleum, what's, what's the story you know, in-house? Uh, so what we'll do is um, we actually built a facility. We actually uh, merged with another oil company that's been around for 100 years. Ernest bought them so that he could be right on the canal in Germany. So right from the plant... Uh, we'll come over in a barge. We'll be our raw raw goods. Before it's unloaded in the barge, it gets tested. We have like four, like three laboratories. Where does this mainly come from? Uh, uh, where it, do you guys get it from? All it, over the place? Nope. No, we get it from one refinery. Okay. And that's it. So if that refinery knows exactly how we want our, our base stocks to be. And so when it comes on that barge, we test it before we even put it in our holding tanks. Hmm. And if it doesn't pass our quality... We will send the whole entire barge back. Does that happen? It has. Wow. Okay. That can't, that can't be cheap. <laughs> well, for anyone involved, you know, <laughs> that's the really nice thing about Liquamali. When people ask, you know, what the difference between brands is, our quality is so tight in your, you know, in, in Germany. So if it doesn't pass the barge test, and then we also test the holding tank that that oil is going to go into to make sure that they are exact match. Hmm. And then once it gets loaded into the truck. Before it goes into the holding tank at the facility, that gets tested as well. So there's about four times that the base stock gets tested before it even gets put, the additive package added to it. And when you say base stock, is this basically what's coming out of it's the, the crude, refinery? Yep, it's the crude oil, and then there's um, different levels of base stock that uh, an oil manufacturer will use. There's one, two, three, four, and five. 
about 70% of the oils that are full synthetics out there, if you go to like an auto parts store, about 70% of them, actually probably even higher nowadays, is going to be a base stock 3. Okay. That is a hydrocracked. Um, so you get to take your mineral-based oil and then you hydrocrack it at the refinery. I don't know that what hydrocracking means. Hydrocracking is what basically makes it a synthetic-based oil. Okay. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist who can break down <laughs> what hydrocracking is. But it's the next level from mineral to synthetic. Is okay. That's when they actually take the molecules of the, the, the mineral base, the, the they crude do oil. The nerd stuff. The nerd stuff. They yeah. crack it, <laughs> do some crazy stuff to it, and it becomes synthetic. Okay. I didn't realize that. I thought synthetic was literally like created in a lab, but that doesn't make sense because you couldn't make nearly enough of it. Right. So it is based it's off still of crude the crude. Oil. Yep. Okay. It's still crude oil, and it's, it's still... It's like ultra-refined in a way. Yep. And then so... Most of our stuff is going to be a, a base stock three. Um, as the manufacturers ask for longer intervals of oil changes, i.e., like uh, Volkswagen has a 504, 507 spec for their newer vehicles, that's going to be a base stock four. And the manufacturers asking that that oil go up to about 25,000 miles. Wow. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine not changing my oil for 25,000 miles. Why, why do they want this so bad? Um, more in Europe for waste. Uh, oh, okay. Not a lot of places to put the waste oil. Um, some oil companies might take, and they can actually clean the oil back up and recreate the base stock and start all over. Um, we do not. Lacroix <laughs> okay. does not do that. Right. But there are some manufacturers that will take the... You know, old used oil and refine it again and come up with and then start back fresh again. You know, I don't want to get on too far of a tangent, but I even wrote down this as a question. You know, coming from hot rods and me growing up kind of the same way, you, I was ingrained in me 3,000 miles. That's when you do your oil change, right? That was the old rule of thumb. How do you go from 3,000 miles to, I said 15,000 is the new standard, but obviously you're telling me <laughs> it's way beyond that. What really, I mean, is the oil that much different? It's actually not in the oil. It's in the additive package that goes into the oil. Okay. So your, your, your base stock's going to be the same no matter what. Obviously, from uh, level two to level three, it's going to definitely be different. Hydrocracked is going to be a synthetic base. But when you add your additive package, mm -hmm. again, the manufacturer's creating this package. The manufacturer's saying, you know, I need this oil to go so long. The oil itself will actually capture the dirt and still protect the car at the same time. Sure. Okay, so, so that's when you start talking about detergents in the oil. Yes. So obviously in the late 90s, early 2000s, more detergents were added to the oils. They became synthetic oils instead of synthetic blends. Mm -hmm. That's one of the misconceptions about synthetic oil in older vehicles is it's too thin and that it goes through you know, I've heard it'll, that. it'll find yeah. the holes and it's going to go through the holes well it's actually because there's more detergents the gaskets of that era can't handle the detergent of the new oils interesting so it actually breaks down the gaskets therefore it leaks okay interesting so and if you look i mean in the past a, a filter was gigantic I mean, sure, especially these, the diesel ones are just monsters. Yeah, I mean, just a, a Ford, a straight-six Ford, they had FL1A. The thing was two feet tall and <laughs> was ridiculous. Now that same filter is a cartridge. Right. You know, so the, these, the, the, 
manufacturers are actually asking the oil to do a lot more work than the filter. Yeah, no kidding. So it's additive packages and everything else like that. So we complain a lot about um, direct injection and how much more maintenance it is and how unreliable it is. And one of the things that bugs me about the direct injection engines is the carbon buildup on the intake valves. Is there anything that you guys are, or oil companies in general are doing to combat this? Because it's, like, it's a huge problem and a maintenance nightmare. So the easiest thing to look at is if you're using, it doesn't matter, Liquid Molly, uh, Mobile One, all the different big names, Castro, because it's on your cap, on your Volkswagens. <laughs> yep. um, you got to look at their spec sheets. And the one rating that's going to be kind of important to you is going to be a, what they call the NOAC rating. And this is vapor loss of oil at 100 mm. degrees. So if you think about it, as the car gets up to 100 degrees, you are going to lose a certain amount of oil. To what extent are you going to lose? What percentage of your oil are you going to lose? And the NOAC rating uh, is the max you're supposed to be allowed is 15%. Interesting. Does so, NOAC stand for anything? What is, is um, it German? <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> the NOAC is the testing version of this particular of, okay. of vapor lossage. So if I said NOAC, it's an American term that mm-hmm. everybody knows and understands. Um, so the lower everybody the, in the business will say. Right. So the lower <laughs> the NOAC rating, the less problem you're going to have with oil on your valves. Correct. The, the less the vapor of your oil, the less that your oil is going to break down and that there's going to be a vapor of crud, basically. I know a lot of Volkswagen guys... Uh, the ECS tuning dudes, they always buy the catch cans. Right. Yeah. Okay. So is everything you, that accumulates in that catch can, is that like... It's that's based off the NOAC rating. Okay. Like, so we had... Interesting. Um, we do have an oil out in the side-by-side industry right now that was a little bit too high for that particular model. And that's like the Polaris stuff, right? Yep. Okay. The ATVs. Yeah. ATVs. So he actually filled his catch can, and that's how... Uh, one of our employees and myself started digging deep into the oils and trying to figure out oh. not like he showed us. He's like, my catch can's full. And instead of just saying, oh, sorry, you know, we want to <laughs> dig in and find out right. why. So we actually switched him to a assuming a his crankcase pressure isn't too high and his <laughs> motor's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we switched him to a different oil of ours on the on the power sports side. And it instantly his catch can was not filling up or anything like that. Mm. So we actually looked at the NOAC rating of our oils, and one of them was really high, and it got much lower. Sure. So I started thinking about direct injection and how that intake valve doesn't have any heat, doesn't burn. So if you do get vapor on it, where is it going? It's just staying there. It's building up, hmm. building up, building up. So I started digging deep, in, and right away, if you log on to Liquamali, any product you log on to, you're going to have the NOAC rating. Sure. It's right there. It tells you exactly. So what's the, what's the breadth of the NOAC rating for low to high? What, what, what should we be looking for um, as a number? So our particular, we have a 540. Uh, like Lof, it's, it's pretty much our everyday oil that we use on, you know, almost every shop uses. That is at about 10%. Okay. Um, mm. Even just going up to a 12 or a 13 can cause a lot more vapor. Okay. Interesting. Uh, 15 is the max you're supposed to be allowed. Um, there is some companies out there that on their spec sheets say that they are less than 15. They oh. just give it a broad. Right. We're less than 15. Which means we're 14.998. <laughs> so an actual direct injection, when direct injection came out, 
is what forced the NOAC rating to go down to 15. Sure. It used to be up as high as 30. Oh, my God. Okay. So can I ask about that NOAC rating? You said it's basically how much of it will, to simplify, will basically boil off from the oil. Yep. So when you're saying percentage-wise, are you telling me that 100 degrees, you put this oil in there, over 15% of it will actually boil off? Correct. Wow. That seems like a lot of oil loss. And you actually lose your uh, viscosity of your oil as well. Sure, because you're losing all of the yep. the light parts, I guess you'd call so it, of the oil. Most, uh, you know, we're, we most shops won't get this detailed into oils and whatnot. I would imagine not. All I can ask a shop is, are your customers consuming oil? Hmm. If they're consuming oil, I know that they're using the wrong oil for the application. So I want to just add a point. I was thinking about my 911. I have your oil in it now. And before I had your oil in it, I had... I had AMS oil in it. AMS right. oil. I put AMS oil in there. I'm like, I'm going to try this stuff. It says high zinc, whatever. So um, I put it in there, and I did actually consume more oil than that than I did with the Liquid Molly 2050. I did. I do. It's yeah. Weird. Yeah. So well, you consume more with AMS oil than you did. Right. right. Liquid Molly yeah. helped. Yeah, I did. Yep. So I'm having an epiphany over here, Chad, because my <laughs> my truck, which I just you know, it's a it's a GM, it's the Hummer, and it uses their five cylinder, and I just I don't care too much about it. I I care about. It. I do well maintenance on it, but I just use the standard. It doesn't call for synthetic or anything else, but it consumes oil like a decent amount, and I have been looking it doesn't drip obviously it's you know we'll, we'll have to try this it or anything else so if you're telling me I, I go to a lower noac rating and use a better quality oil that could solve the issue right there it could be or you could also be having like valve seals starting to dry up or, or yeah i've been i mean i'm not seeing any any smoke <laughs> or any residue in my exhaust so i'm thinking it's so yeah you could have some vapor loss some exactly. uh, sheer loss in your oils right um and again if you logged on to your brand of oil i guarantee you they will you not what, share that information you're gonna hate me do you know what my brand of oil is i'm gonna say mobile one nope it oh. is whenever i walk into the auto parts store i see what's on sale in the five liter <laughs> jug <laughs> oh boy well, I, I do better on the audi in the porsche but on the truck i don't care too much but did, did you already change the oil in the porsche did you do that already no i haven't okay um before we go i want to get uh, onto a couple news stories before we go but um before we do that i have one more question this is um, what, what kind of oil? I've always wondered this. What do they use in F1 cars? What specific, like, is that like a tier five of those oils or what is that stuff? Uh, Cause they're turning 15,000 RPMs for forever for an hour. Okay. So we'll, we'll actually, we can kind of jump away from something, but yet still tie it back to, uh, we partnered up with Turner Motorsports. Uh, we run there. They have a M6 that we ran the 24-hour Rolex Daytona. Sure. Very cool. Okay. That had 540 Lightcloth oil in it. Just like off Just the shelf? Just standard. Off the shelf. Okay. Wow. Off the shelf. Nothing fancy, nothing new. Um, one of our uh, our main tech guy is actually working with the Trans Am series, mm-hmm. and that's just running the 2050 mineral-based oil. Okay. Really? So it's not necessarily – it's just using a good – quality oils and, and trying to figure out exactly where to go with that. Uh, we also did a, uh, I think it's an 800 horsepower drag car, an old Camaro with, you know, 800 horsepower big block. Sure. We actually threw 020 in there. Yeah. And he ran in Vegas, won his class, did not change the oil, did not need to change the oil, went to another track, ran again and won his class again. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. That is. Now, saying that, both the Trans Am series and the Dragster, we have added our MOS2 in there 
So that's that an additive? It's an additive. It's an anti-friction additive that will, you know, eliminate metal-to-metal contact. So we've added a little bit of, of the MOS2 to the race cars. So why don't they just put that in oil in the first place? Uh, we do have it in one. It's in a 10, 10, uh, 1030 or 1040 MOS2. Okay. Um, it's just so, probably a little more expensive, so you give the option for people to put it in. It's our only U.S. Uh, synthetic blend that we offer. Okay. Interesting. You know, that brings up a good point because y- you see, as well as all the oils on the shelf when you go to the auto parts store, you saw these aftermarket additives. <laughs> and obviously, Liquid Molly o- offers additives. But what, I mean, are these all snake oil? What, what really are these? There's lots of additives. Um, there's a couple, I mean, the guys that I go head to head with and shops is going to be at bg um bg is out there everywhere and i have some good friends that work at bg i don't even know yeah, about it good okay. dudes. Yeah. you know so you know our additives are very competitive you know comparable to the bg products i don't know what they do or how well they they work um a lot of times i will show like a lot of people use lucas mm-hmm. and sure. when i worked for as, as a counterman at a parts store that's what I, I sold. I sold the Lucas injector cleaner. I thought it was the best stuff on, on earth. Right. Today I'll go into a shop or into a store and I notice that it actually says upper cylinder lubricant and fuel injector. Okay. So okay. it's a two for like anytime you see a two for anything, you know it's no good. <laughs> well, it, I just don't know unless like, you're at the strip club, then it's probably okay. <laughs> or a bar, you know. Right, a two for one at a bar is okay. I, I don't know what it's doing first or what it's doing second, right. or if it's actually enough concentration. Um, our injector cleaner is purely an injector cleaner. Our mm-hmm. anti friction is an anti friction. We have hydraulic lifter additive. You know, being that we are about an hour outside of Stuttgart yeah. and next to all of these German automobiles and hearing all their problems and you know, in in the industry. So we create additives to fix problems. You're able to respond. Yep. We're not we're not creating an additive because we want to sell another additive. We're creating an additive because there's a problem out there in the market that we need mm. to address. So as far as snake oils like the old slick fifties versus, you know, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, they they had their place in, Mar- in the world. The, I always see the Marvel mystery oil. I was oil. just going to bring up Marvel mystery oil. I, it's, it's my, I usually pour it in the engines and let them unseize. That's about all I've ever used it for. But, I, <laughs> the biggest one out there that I always laugh is, and I I used it. I, I probably still do, but seafoam. Seafoam, yeah. I, I do remember, use that. I remember I be, I was over at SCI, and I was like, man, this thing's not running that great. Ah, Chad's like, just put some seafoam in one of the intake valves or in the, in a, I'm sorry, a vacuum line. Yeah. So I had a vacuum line and I fed it into the bottle and I started running it. It destroyed the entire neighborhood. It's oh, like yeah. I fogged, so much smoke. fogged out the entire oh, neighborhood. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Chad's like, what are you doing? That's too much. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh no. How did it run afterward? The same. <laughs> okay. The same. Well, I want to get into a little bit of news. You cool with hanging out and kind of shooting the shit with us as sure. we go through it? All right. I'm going to pick. Uh, I, w- I really want to do these two stories. They're pretty quick. And then why don't you pick one of the two? That, that you've got I there. only get one. Okay. I know. Sorry. Um, so this one's, <laughs> this one's short. It won't take long. But uh, Audi, in Germany, Audi in Germany has signed a deal allowing flying car testing. <laughs> this, is a, this is real. Right? It's, quote, flying taxis aren't a vision any longer. They can take us off into a new dimension of mobility, said German transport minister Andreas Schur. They're a huge opportunity for companies and young startups that are already developing this technology very concretely and successfully. 
Flying car technology is closer than people think. At the Geneva Motor Show in March, Audi and Airbus demonstrated a mobility concept based on an ultralight. Volocopter, GmbH, a German startup backed by Intel and Daimler AG, has built has built a drone-like electric helicopter to ferry travelers across city skies. And I think I think Volvo actually has bought another company that's doing that too. Wow! So the uh, it's going to look like what is the Blade Runner here? Yeah. Any minute. So that's that's sweet. That's sweet. I, I mean, I love cars, but I'll take a flying cover thing. So you guys are going to have to develop some some oil for flying cars. You have to figure <laughs> out whatever it is that you do that. And then this other story, I just want to get through really quickly because this has been all over social media, yep. like especially the last couple of weeks. It's been like just pounding away. Um, German automakers today announced they're willing to drop all U.S. tariffs uh, on auto, on automotive goods, cars, etc. So they're willing to drop all of them. Um, German automakers are willing to abandon car tariffs between the European Union and the U.S. in exchange for President Donald Trump dropping the 25% border tax threat on Europe auto imports. The Wall Street Journal said German automakers support the U.S. 10% tax on auto imports from the U.S. and a 2.5% duty on auto imports, blah, blah, blah. So all that stuff's going to go away, in theory, if Trump drops his threat of the 25% tariff. Which I guess he had leverage there. I mean, that's the not o- a bad thing for U.S. consumers. The only reason he had leverage with this is because he did the leverage with the – he followed through with his threat with the steel tariffs. Oh. I think if he hadn't done the steel tariffs, Germany would be like, well, fuck you. We're, you know, yeah. we're not going to – we're you're lying. But uh, it looks like hopefully we can put this to rest and we can stop talking about this on Facebook. It's been <laughs> it's just been driving me crazy. And I'll limit it, your politics on the episode to that. Yeah, yep. so I'm not going to talk about whether it's. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to talk about whether it's good or bad. That is just what happened. There everybody you are. Look just, at that. That's so that's so journalistic own. of you yeah, to present it without commentary. Yep, make your own mind up there. All right. So uh, I have two stories. I'm just going to touch on the first so I can get to the second. Tesla has been apparently uh, been a victim of sabotage, which in within their production facility. Hold Hold on a second. Okay. Before you get into the Tesla story, I forgot one question I want to ask Chad. I was wondering. You were throwing. You this were was throwing a, a lot of questions. The curb here. Yeah. So this was the one that I really wanted to get to. Is how does how are petroleum companies going to handle the shift to electric vehicles with all? I mean, that's a huge loss of market share. Is there anything that you've heard that they're you know what happens next for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so same. You know, speaking of Tesla, you know what are head bosses or whatever ask us to do is go in and see what you can sell them sure you know wheel grease uh city right. grease tranny grease what can you sell them because yeah it's gonna be a it's loss still a car of sale for us if you know they have no oils so right. we just have to adapt and we'll see where things <laughs> go i guess what they do need from you yeah, yeah. okay interesting that, that takes care of that yeah so uh just real quick with the tesla thing in a bizarre email sent out sunday our uh leader elon musk here who's leader uh, our no it's our new world leader Chris. Okay. haven't you heard this yeah. elon musk said uh he basically claimed that there's been a sabotage of the company inside where they first stole a bunch of like company information and sold it and then was sabotaging the production facility and then later on monday it sent a separate email saying there was a fire that started out in the facility that may or may not have been sabotaged but he's telling people to keep vigilant do you think he's losing his shit do you think he's going insane here's the two things i saw this was interesting for two reasons one he brought up the point that tesla does have a big target on their back you know what i mean it's all these other mainstream manufacturers 
do have a reason to kind of sabotage their operations. And if you don't think corporate espionage is a real thing, I think you're naive. But sure. But this is like I was going to say, here's the other thing. Or is he just being so paranoid and naive, like just just, yeah, unhinged, basically. So it's it's weird. I have to admit that the skeptic in me immediately when I read this headline said, is this a convenient scapegoat for when they don't hit their production uh, numbers next time and they can say well remember we had that big sabotage bob over there sabotage yeah. set fire yeah. to the production line so that's all i'll say about that it, right. it needed commentary this week this is interesting though toyota confirms hypercar development that's likely going to be based on their lamas racer now this is what their president said doubling down on toyota's promise to shed its quote boring car image all they had to do was wait for a portion Audi not to be at Le Mans anymore so they could win. Well, here's okay. So I'm I'm not even going to read the rest of the quote. My my question is why this is news to me. Why are they trying to shed this boring car image? They have what is in my mind the cash cow anyways. If people are losing, you know, enthusiasm and just want their cars as appliances and we're seeing consumers moving to like a subscription model of car service where you just like have the zip car and all these other manufacturers that are going to that why do you want to start investing so much more in these what are basically niche vehicles, right? They're sports cars. I think, why don't they want the beige Camry? So here's, here's what's happening. And I, and I did a little bit of research on because I had the same thought that you did. Yeah. And I didn't write any of this down. But um, they're actually going to be having a hypercar series at Le Mans. I did so write a point here. I think that they're kind of trying to design a car that can compete in that. And I think Mercedes yeah. is thinking about it. McLaren is thinking about it. And... Uh, there's a Ferrari is thinking about it of doing this hypercar series. Right. So I think they're just kind of rolling this technology into their hypercar department so that they can continue to compete in motorsports so in that, the future. That makes sense. But aside from this confirmed hypercar, Toyota also has the joint development with BMW for the Supra. Yeah, we the talked about that. Yep. They have the next gen uh, 86 shared with Subaru that's also coming out and potentially another sort sports car that they um, are continuing to protect the Celica name from back in the day. So Sweet. So I, this is a market share that they don't have right now. Right. So maybe they're just trying to gain more market share. Maybe. I just think it's very interesting that maybe we'll see Toyota again as a sports car manufacturer. They're trying to capitalize on like some of the old, like if you look at the old Celica GTs and the old Supras and stuff, they're like universally loved by import enthusiasts yeah. and, and non-import enthusiasts. Even mean. if you're a hot rod guy or European car guy, you still say, okay, that was kind of a cool car. It was interesting. Yeah, and like the, the all-track or four-track or whatever it was, the rally car. It's yeah. awesome. It's nostalgia, I think, is what's coming back So that to. maybe they're trying to capitalize on some of that. That makes sense. So I, I do have another segment. I don't know if you want to go into we, we've it. We've got time. We've, we've got, got time. time. Yeah, okay. go for it. Chad, you're going to love this. This is... Um, before Chris has had oh shit called, I, just, I just threw it on the floor do I need it no you don't <laughs> okay Chris has had a segment in the past called driving etiquette and it's basically been him ranting about what people don't know how to do when they're driving okay and I came across this the other day so I was at a stoplight the other day and it was right after one of these big storms we had in town so there was obviously a power outage and the stoplight was flashing red now everyone knows well, first of all okay before I get into it this little sidebar why does this happen? Because why? Why when you lose power, the light controller loses all its memory or its entire function? It's because it's all controlled via network now. So if you're like a controller, I actually talked to a guy. Okay, that, so you know the answer. I know the. I basically. <laughs> I, the I think I know. The, I know. I know the answer for everything, Jake. Naturally. I've got all the answers. Never wrong. Okay, Never tell wrong. me. Um, so me. I there was a stoplight up by my house that. Um, I didn't think was timed correctly. Okay. And it was a dangerous intersection. So I ended up calling the DOT and ended up getting transferred around. And I talked to the guy that does the light timing. 
Okay. And they can change. I have a bone to pick with him, by the way. Yeah. Me oh, too. yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, Let's get this. I should get this guy in the podcast. I still have his number. <laughs> you should. We should just be like, yeah, we're going to talk and be wonderful and get him in here and just, and light, just him rip on fire. On <laughs> but they can they can change the timing of the lights anytime they want. I mean, it's it's all connected like ne- like networked that's, or that's something cool. like that. But at least a lot of them are. I don't know how far out it goes, but fine. Why don't they have a default that it goes back to instead of flashing red? Like our batteries not a thing. Do we not have Ooh, solar panels? There you go. Why there not that go. too? Like yeah, there has LED. to be solar panel on top of the. Light there has be to be fine. a way where it can. Okay, even if it's not timed perfectly and everything else, just go to the standard function of like you know thirty seconds on, so, thirty seconds to the next one. It might be a power surge. Maybe something got ruined and that's like a, a fail safe. So like, solid state logic and memory boards aren't a thing either. I'm just saying maybe that they got fried. Okay. And there's that's like the fail safe. Okay, this is, you know, you always see the guy like opening up the side and he's like You're fixing right. some shit. So maybe he, it's he's not doing anything. He's, he's, he's not a, doing anything. He's a government worker. <laughs> he's, just like, he's in there just like reaching his arm in, just like waving it around. Yeah. He's got Instagram up. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. not doing anything. Maybe so, that's, maybe it's just the fa- I think that's the fail safe. I no, I agree. But it's stupid. Like you'd think we could do better with the day's you, you would think so. So okay. I'm at the four way stop. And the lights are flashing red. And people were fucking losing their minds. It's chaos. I don't know why people don't know how to drive. It's because they were there was a zillion people in line, right? I mean, it was... Oh, yeah. Probably... There were. But here's the problem is people don't possess the assertiveness or, or confidence to actually go when it's their damn turn. And it's like, oh, no, are, are you going to go? Should I go? I don't, I don't want like, to offend you by going if you're going to go, right? I don't do that at all. No, I know. But most people... <laughs> you know, are like very careful and they're going to be very cautious. There's a difference between being unsafe and being assertive though, because if you're not being assertive and going when it's your turn and to having the confidence to do that, now you're screwing everyone else up. So it just turns into a free for all where people are going out of turn and then it takes twice as long because then next time around, you don't know if it's your turn again or not. So it, it was driving me nuts. So that was the first thing. Okay. The other rant what do you, I have. What do you want to do about it is the question. I want A, to fix the stoplights and B, for people not to be idiots. Okay. So here's, well, you can't here's, help that. No, but. well, here's how. I'm going to tell you. If you're making a left turn, go to the center of the intersection while you're waiting for the oncoming car. Otherwise, people don't know what the fuck you're doing and someone else goes instead. No, what really helps is you just have your blinker on. Well, that helps too. You're right. Half right. the people can't figure out what that's for. So now we don't know if we should wait for you again since you're not going and someone took your turn and everyone just stands there staring at each other. Then you get in this situation, you know, when you're like going down a hallway and you're running into someone and you both kind of shift left and then you shift right. right. And you're sitting there dancing. Yep. Now this is what's happening at an intersection. I don't shift left or right. I just keep walking. <laughs> just push them out to the side. I'll bump shoulders with people if they're idiots. I don't care. So, so, here, so Adam Carolla has talked about this oh, yes. kind of thing uh, a couple of times. And what he's recommended to do, and I've done this and it works, is, you know, everybody kind of does like the wave like yeah. oh go ahead no yep. problem go ahead you point at them and you point where you want them to go it's an assertive move and it works you go you go and you like point that. at them and you put and you point where they're supposed to go it works i like that but here's what made things worse in this specific situ- situation it was a divided four lane like highway situation where there's a median in the middle so now you're taking all of this incompetence and the chaos and doubling the amount of lanes people you need to deal with and adding confusion because of the median and people can't see each other maybe you should just fucking relax because the power went out <laughs> you know it's maybe shit happens right i know it, just, I mean, it shouldn't be this hard though it's like stop signs if there were stop signs there Instead of the flashing red light, I feel like people just lose their mind. I don't know. That's that's the end of my rant. Chad. I do have to ask one question about that, though. Yeah. What city? Woodbury. 
Okay. Yep. That's a new. That's a new newer city. They should have better infrastructure. Right. But still, I mean, no, they're privileged. Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> so um, on that note, not, any, <laughs> not as much as Chris, but yeah. <laughs> I live in Cedar. I am not privileged. So I I want to say thanks to Chad. We really appreciate you coming in, and uh, we'll get some of that liquid Molly in his in his nine eleven. Have him change the oil and, and put some in there. And, I'm gonna uh, put it in the truck too now. Yeah, see we'll if see I can get rid of we'll, all we'll my problems back. here. Yeah. So on that note, thanks a lot, man. We'll uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. We'll be right back.